and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's time for the court with gunny it's, it's time for the gunny. It's time. It's time. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get online right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. The quarter deck. It's time for the gunny. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to the quarter deck. I am your host, Miguel, the Gunny Signs. Get out the bus! I do solemn swear. I do solemn swear. That I will support you. Good morning and welcome to the Quarter Deck. I am Miguel the Gunny Signs and I want to welcome you guys to another week here on the Quarter Deck. Today, this week on the Quarter Deck, we're going to talk a little bit more about that deployment and how it all came to an end from that first Westpac coming down there from that uh, actual Western Pacific float down there aboard the USS Fort Fisher. A lot of things have happened this week um, here in Arizona. All the smoke from the fires from California are still coming down this way. So the skies down here are like gray, like a whole bunch of ash that's flowing down here. So thank you, my California people, for sending it down this way. You know, and hopefully everybody that's down there in California, you know, you guys do stay safe. As well as yesterday was September 11th. 19 years already. Can you believe it? It's been 19 years since the Twin Towers fell. Now, whenever anybody thinks about these Twin Towers or what happened on that day, a lot of people start to think about, hey, you know, where was I? What was I doing during that time? And for a lot of people, you know, they do have a lot of memories about where they were, what happened when this uh, day happened on that day. For me, it was kind of a, I won't say it was a unique day, I guess you could say, we were out on 29 Palms in California. We were doing a desert fire exercise out there doing some training. And it just so happened that any, anytime that we, I went to 29 Palms to do training now that I was a little more senior Marine in the unit, you know, I did, I took a little portable black and white TV with the little bunny ear antennas. You know, everybody knows which one I'm talking about. The little small little Q1. I think it was maybe about a six or seven inch little TV and you had the antennas on there. Now, any of you, that have been out there, you know that oh, out there in 29 Palms, reception isn't that good at all. So that morning, we woke up, and I remember because one of the other Marines came running to the the gun section that I was on, and he's like, hey, this, this is going on. Can you believe this and everything? I was like, hang on. I have my TV. So I busted out my little TV, and we couldn't get any reception. Now, being that Marines are creative, I had one of my young ones. I was like, hey, get one of the net poles. You know, these net poles are nothing more than aluminum rods uh, that you connect together to make it longer to be able to hold the net off the truck and the gun. So I had him run about six or seven of them put together and make it as long as he possibly could. I had him tie a piece of communications wire on top of it and run it up as high as he could. That was our antenna. And believe it or not, it actually worked. It worked. We were, we were able to actually get the signal of the actual local news and we were able to see what actually was going on. And we actually saw the second plane when it hit the towers. Now you can imagine this. We had a, a small little TV, maybe about, like I said, six, seven inches and about 40, 45 Marines gathered around it just watching what was going on. 
and we couldn't believe exactly what was going on, what was happening during that time. Now, obviously, our training was stopped, and, you know, we stopped our training. We headed back down there to Mainside, got our stuff clean and everything, and we got ready to go to head back to Camp Pendleton to wait and see, you know, what was going to happen, what was the next phase, what were we going to do. And so that's every year, you know, everybody thinks about where they were. You know, and, and to me, unfortunately, a lot of young young ones now, they really have no memory of that. They don't know. Well, I won't say they don't know, but they weren't around during that time. Okay, a lot of people, you know, they were in kindergarten when this stuff happened. All our, you know, twenty year olds, uh, they were in kindergarten. They don't, they don't remember none of those things. You know, some of the the individuals that joined the service, they joined the service because they wanted to do something. They wanted to do something for the United States, and especially with everything that's going on today, you know, being a unified United States is something that is very rarely seen today. Now, let's think back those 19 years ago. September 11th was a tragic day. A lot of horrible things happened that day. But let's let's look into the future a little bit. Let's look at September 12th. I don't know if any of you can remember, there was not a single store that had an American flag available for sale. Every house in the United States had a flag flying outside of its porch. You couldn't see a single house without that. Didn't matter. You could have been a chicken, a duck, a bird, a pig, an eagle, whatever. But you had one. Because we were unified as one country. And to me, I don't know if I could say that it's sad. You know, we have a lot of different things that are going on. But we're Americans first. And this coming from me, you know, I wasn't even born in this country. This is the country that I chose to be part of. And no matter who you are, you're still going to be part of this great nation. And I want to do the best that I can that if something is going on, that I'll do the best that I can to help to protect any individuals that are there. And a lot of you, you know, especially the Marines that have served with me or have been out there with me, you know that. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter, you know, I don't have any biased feelings towards people at all, whatsoever. I think all you guys are turds. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. All right, we're going to take care of each other as, as Americans. It should be the same exact same way. So that's one of the things, you know, that goes on, especially during this month and everything else. Another great thing is that on 6 September was my 25th year of me setting foot on the yellow footprints at Paris Island, South Carolina. Man, can you believe it how much time flies? Time flies when you're having fun, right? Uh, it's been 25 years already, so I, could, I couldn't actually believe it the other day. I was sitting here looking at my, uh, my graduation book, you know, the red one that they give you when you graduate and you have your platoon over where everything from the past is in color, but then when they get to your series and your platoons, it's all black and white. I, I, I haven't gone back to the depot here in the last past couple of years, and I haven't checked. I, wonder if they, I don't even know if they still give those same books to the recruits nowadays or not, but I wonder if I go back there now, then the pictures from when we were recruits, they're the ones that are in color, and their their pictures are going to be the ones that are in, in black and white. But who knows? I guess we just have to wait and see. When I get a chance, I should look at those. 
so that's been going on. Um, so, you know, it's been kind of busy, uh, COVID-19 still going on it's going everything. So, you know, a job's still scarce out here. No, no look in sight. I have no sight line, no sight picture at all. Looking at to see possibly when work is going to come back or anything like that. But Hey, until then going to keep on kicking, keep trucking forward. That's going to be what we're going to end up having to do. So let's go ahead and get into what's been going on this week in our adventure that we've been following on. So when we left off last time, we had just finished off all of the training uh, that we did in Jordan out there with the Jordanian armies. We talked about our lawn dart that had been uh, inserted into the Jordanian desert out there when it was dropped by one of the helos. So now it was time to get all our vehicles uploaded back onto the boat and get ready to start heading and making our way back to California. So now, in order for us to be able to get the, all our equipment, all of our gear, everything back on the boat, everything had to be clean. When I mean clean, I mean it's got to be clean. They did not want a single speck of dirt at all whatsoever to be on any of our vehicles before we got on the boat. So we were taking all of our vehicles to a wash rack station that the Jordanian army had there. And this was not a regular, like, you know, uh, a wash rack that we're used to, you know, you weren't going to go in there and be able to wash your vehicles, just like big, huge vehicles and everything. Not over there. They pulled us into a regular car wash. They had like a little ramp and everything. That's where we were going to wash all our vehicles. Now, with that being said, the Jordanian soldiers were the ones that were washing our vehicles to make sure that they were clean. These guys had no idea how to wash anything. They just kind of squirted the thing. And to top it off, the hoses we were using, they didn't even have pressure nozzles on them. Those of you, you know, from back in the days, you know what I'm talking about. It was like the ones that I had back when I was in Mexico. You had the hose on there with the hose cut off and I used my finger. And all I did was like put the finger on top of like, look, pressure on, off, on, off. That's all it was. So, you know, imagine trying to get all that dirt and everything out of there. So eventually I ended up just taking the hose away from this guy. And I got under the truck myself all the way under there because it was on a ramp anyway. And it was over squirting all the dirt, everything off of it to make sure that everything stayed clean as it could anyway, before we got it onto the vehicle. I got to say, it took me about a good five or six hours to get that truck completely clean. And not only that, but as soon as we were done with the truck, now we had to worry about getting the, the houser clean as well. So we had to worry about getting all the cracks and all the little pieces that we had that they were clean and nothing was going to remain dirty there to make sure that everything was ready to get back on the ship. Everything was finally uploaded back on the ship and we tied everything back down and then we were on our way leaving there from Jordan. So we were back on the boat and then we were going to go ahead and make a stop, but this time we were going to stop into in uh, Australia. I never been to Australia before. I never been there. I never really heard anything. All I knew was, uh, Hey mate, you want to shrimp on the Barbie? You know, that's the only thing that I know about. And, oh yeah. I can't forget too. Of course I can't forget about the commercials. You know, Foster's is Australian for beer. That's not true. By the way, it's not. And then people in Australia, they hear you ask for a Foster's. They're going to call you a pussy, a weakling, whatever you get, whatever you can imagine. That's what they're going to call you. It is not. Australian for beer. That is probably the 
the what they call piss over there. Then they don't even drink it or even say that over there. But it was a fun time over there in Australia. We had a we got to see all kinds of crazy things over there. They had a, you know a lot of alligator farms, zoos, a lot of tours and everything that you can go on. Now again, being a young lance corporal, not doing anything, you know, you really we really didn't have much of anything that we wanted to go out there and do besides go out there and you know party or whatever and drink and have a good time. That's what we wanted to do, and that was it. So Australia was fun. Uh, got to see a uh, got to pet a koala. Uh, saw a baby alligator. We got to eat a baby alligator on a stick, all barbecued up and everything. So that was interesting. Tastes like chicken, I guess you can say. Everything that you eat that, you know, you're not used to eating, everybody always says, oh, yeah, it tastes like chicken. And it was kind of good. And after that, once we made our way back from Cairns, Australia, we got back on the ship and we headed over to Phuket. Now, some of you may know who where that is. That's in Thailand. Okay, we went down there uh, to Thailand, uh, spent a couple, a little couple days there and everything and, uh, interesting place. I'll leave it at that. I will leave it at that and everything else. Pattaya beach, you know, that's also there in Thailand, very small tourist. Uh, you know, it's a tourist attraction, but they make most of their money whenever the naval ships stop there because they, they raise the prices on the beer and everything there. Which I don't know what the heck they're raising it. You know, you got a bot down there. I was buying a beer for like, I think it was like 10 bot and that's nothing. I forget exactly what the exchange rate is down there in, uh, in Thailand during that time. But it was like, you know, thousands of bot for one U.S. dollar. So you can imagine that with a, with not even $5, you're probably already getting drunk. And the one thing that I do suggest to you guys that if you do go to Thailand and, you know, you go down there and start drinking all those things like that, that you practice hammering in a nail in a log before you get out there because them waitresses down there, they got this little game down there that you play with a hammer and, and a nail and you got to get the nail all the way in the wood with one whack. And they will beat you every single time. So take your time, do some practicing to make sure that you're good. So Thailand was a very interesting experiences that we had there. And uh, next time when we talk about the second time that I went down there, I'll let you guys know a little bit more of the actual experience of Thailand, because this time it was actually more of actually going to see a little bit more of the country of what's going on out there and actually exploring compared to just not doing anything there at all and just going out there and getting drunk and getting back on the ship. So as you guys can see, the deployment was moving along. And next week, we'll go ahead and talk about the last final push that we moved into as far as getting back all the way back to California once we got back and then eventually started making our transition back from being deployed back into actually being back into the United States. The quarter deck. Stories from the duty NCO. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. You got to be You got to be kidding me. This week, I was reminded about a little story regarding Fiddler's Green. This is for all my artillerymen out there, all my 0811s, all my 0814s, 0844s, and all you others that are out there. As many of you may know, we in artillery are known as the king of battle. We're the ones that handle everything, and there's nobody greater than us. So sorry to all my infantrymen that are out there. <laughs> you know who the best is. So this is what was sent out to me, and I have forgotten about this 
story regarding Fillers Green, but we're going to share it with you guys. And this is coming, you know, courtesy from the actual 1st Battalion, 11th Marines website that they had it posted on there. And somebody sent me a link this week and on my Facebook page. So I wanted to get a chance to actually share it with you guys. This is what it says. Fiddler's Green. We, artillerymen, are indeed a very privileged group. In addition to the protection of our patron saint during life, we can look forward to our own special heavens after the sounding of taps. I refer, of course, to Fiddler's Green. Down through the ages, all purveyors of the fire, members of the ancient profession of stone hurlers, catapulters, rocketeers, and gunners, better known as field artillerymen, have discussed the special place in the hereafter, where someday each of us will be privileged to roam. There are many tales of the green, as there are old artillerymen, stories rich and smell of gunpowder and campfires, and flavored with a taste of artillery punch. Imagine, if you will, a starry night many years ago. In gun position 15, which for you youngsters is now artillery firing area 31, just after a coordinated Elune mission, nestled in the shadows of the regimental CP is a battery of smoothbore cannon camped for the night. As the campfire is dim and the flask of rum and lemon empty, the conversation turns into life of the hereafter. A rugged old section chief is surprised to learn that not all present have heard of supplies of grit squares, ST1s, B1RDs. Few have ever been sent to fetch 100 meters of gun target line or for the combination of a firing lock. Fewer still have been availed of the highest of knowledge, the greatest piece of artillery, lore, the special destiny awaiting all artillerymen. As the young cannoneers listen intensely, he shares with them the legend of Fiddler's Green. It is generally conceded, he explains, that the souls of the departed eventually end up in heaven or hell. Heaven lies about six clicks down the dusty road to eternity and can be reached by turning left at the first crossroad. From that same junction, hell is about eight or nine clicks straight ahead. The road is easy to identify. It's the one paid with good intentions. A little way down the road to hell, there is a sign pointing to a trail that runs off to the right of the main road, which reads, When artillerymen die, their souls form up in a battery area, where they are regrouped into gun sections. Then they load their belongings onto a Cajun or 5-ton, which is in deadline, point their advanced party down that long road to eternity, and move out at an authorized speed limit, as set by the regimental mortar transition officer. Like all crusty old marines, artillerymen face the call to eternal damnation calmly and pass by the turnoff to heaven without a second glance. But unlike others, artillerymen are met by a gun guide at the next turnoff, the road to Fiddler's Green. The road to hell, which continues beyond, is crowded with engineers, infantrymen, aviators, and other miscreants, not to mention the droves of sailors and soldiers of the non-red leg variety. It is at this point that field artillerymen bid farewell to their old comrades and wheel their teams down the trail to the green. The green nestles in a large valley spotted with trees and crossed with many cool streams. One can see countless tents and several large buildings in the center. Laughter can be heard from afar off. At the entrance are several long picket lines for the prime movers as well as picket lines of another kind with members of local chapter of the Environmental Protection Agency. Oh well, at least Artimex are on hand to service the pieces after the long march. There is a representative of the almighty great gunner present to scan the rolls of the Orders of St. Barbara to the attest of the fact that all who are seeking entrance are true 
artillerymen. Once certified, true artillerymen are met with open arms and immediately given a generous flask of that immortal nectar artillery punch. Fiddler's Green is a unique place. It is believed to be the only heaven claimed by a professional group as exclusively its own. However, our Marine Corps brethren, those who didn't serve the field artillery, guard the streets of someone else's heaven and call us if they need reinforcing fires. The Green is a gathering place for rugged professionals. Their claim to fame is that they serve their pieces well and selflessly while on earth. The souls of all departed artillerymen are camped here, forever gathered in camaraderie. In the center of their countless tents and campfires is an old exchange where liquor is free. There are taverns and dance halls. Credit is good, no questions asked. There is always a glass, a friend, and a song. Daily routine consists of full-time and R&R. There isn't even a command duty roster. Everything is strictly non-regulation. The chow is plentiful and good, and there is no waiting in line. The main pastimes are dancing, drinking, and singing all day, and, well, dancing, drinking, and singing all night. The green flows with rum, whiskey, and pleasure known only to a few on earth. The chiefs of artillery old battery commanders, section chiefs, and gunners, down through the powder man, they are all here. Periodically, an artilleryman feels a compulsion to continue down the road to hell. Periodically, an artilleryman feels a compulsion to continue down the road to hell. He repacks his gear, fills his canteens with artillery punch, makes provisions for his horse, or tops off the Humvee, and bids farewell to his comrades. He departs for the main road, turning south towards hell. He was not forced to leave the green, but felt he must go off his own accord. Ha! Do not despair, my friends. Not a single artilleryman has ever made it all the way to hell. Because their canteens of artillery punch are empty long before they make it, and they have to return to the green for a refill, never again to leave. This is the story of Fiddler's Green. There are many versions, of course. Occasionally, stories circulate to the effect that the green is shared with sailors, airmen, soldiers, and coast guardsmen. Don't you believe it? Only the officers and men of the noblest arm, the king of battle, the field artillery, could continue to enjoy the camaraderie and spirit of their most honored occupation after death. Just as in life, we're not all are privileged to be field artillerymen, so too after death. Only these privileged few may enjoy the reward of special heaven that is uniquely their own. So, fellow artillerymen, as we close station, march order to decamp the gun position of life. Having occupied this position in service to our great nation, we contemplate our movement brief and proceed with confidence that protected by St. Barbara, we need fear nothing. And even if we should collide with the rocks of temptation or bogged down in the quagmire of sin. Remember, our comrades will be waiting for us by the campfire at Filler's Green. And I must say, every time that I look at that and I actually read it, it gives me chills. It gives me chills because I know that in the afterlife, when you receive those final orders and you check into your final destination, we, as artillerymen, will be met there at those crossroads and head off to Filler's Green, where our cup will never be empty again the quarter deck i am miguel the gunny signs and you have been listening to the quarter deck with me the gunny signs and this week we look back to remember what happened on the 11th day of september back in 2001 so let us never forget what happened on that day and remember how unified we all came together the day after on september 12th the deployment is coming to an end, the one that uh, we've been discussing for the last past couple of weeks. 
with our journey into Australia and eventually into Thailand. So those were some good spots to take some liberty. So if any of you have any memories of when you went there, please by all means share them with us. You can find us here on the Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and also on Spotify every week to listen to some more of the stories that we may have to be able to share with you here today. There are many stories out there regarding the Marine Corps about different MOSs and all those kinds of different things. Whenever somebody shares one with us on our podcast Facebook page, I always like to share it with you guys here on a weekly basis. So if any of you that do have any other stories or you have heard anything, please send us a link and we were more than happy to read it here and, and talk about what you have found and discussed with us. It's always a pleasure to talk to all of you guys every single week. So until next week, this is Miguel, the Gunny Signs, sounding Liberty Call.